Hey, good to see you all. Uh, thanks for hanging in there with us uh, on a late start. I know it's not super ideal. Um, let me start by saying this. Uh, just over 100 years ago, uh, February of 1911, a man uh, by the name of Gaston Hervieu climbed the Eiffel Tower to test a new parachute that he had designed for pilots. So he climbs the Eiffel Tower, he checks the wind conditions, takes a nervous breath, and the test begins. Shortly after the test, uh, as the parachute is falling, it opens, uh, the silk parachute catches the wind, and eventually glides safely to the ground. The only catch is, uh, Herview himself didn't actually make the jump. He used a test dummy, 160-pound test dummy. Now, to most people, that makes complete sense, right? I mean, why this was his first test, why risk disaster? Uh, but to one man, Franz Reichelt, this was an outrage. So much so that he denounced Herview publicly as a phony and claimed that the use of a test dummy for this kind of experiment was a sham. To prove his point, he said, I can do better. And so about a year later, uh, enough time for him to design his own parachute, he too climbs the Eiffel Tower. Uh, he, he gets to the top, crowds begin to gather, uh, they start taking photos uh, like that. Um, he looks more like a flying squirrel, to be honest, than, than a parachuter. Uh, as people are gathering around him, taking pictures like this, he, he says this so confidently, I am so convinced my device will work properly that I will not use a test dummy, I will make the jump myself. All right, you probably know where this is going, right? So friends and spectators, they pull him aside, and they try and stop him. And they say, listen to us, this, this thing isn't going to work. One of those people was Gaston Herview, the guy that did it a year before successfully. And he said, hey, look, there are a lot of reasons why I, I know that your particular parachute isn't going to work. The main reason being it was far too small. But Raquel wasn't interested in listening. Uh, and so when he finally jumped... He fell for a total of four seconds. He accelerated constantly until he hit the ground at a speed of 60 miles an hour and was killed on impact. It's a terrible story, right? But the warnings were clear. I mean, people tried to warn him. They tried to say, hey, this thing isn't going to work. But Reichel didn't care to listen. You see, he was more interested in following another voice. He, he clung tightly to the folly of his own ideas. Instead of listening to the, the wisdom of other people who knew better. In doing so, it cost him his life. You see, stories like these, when I read them, they're a sobering reminder for me that who or what we listen to really matters. Who or what we listen to in our lives has significant implications for our lives. Right now at Veritas, we're, we're a few weeks into a talk series on the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs, in particular, teaches us how to live well in the world. And so last week, Patrick asked us an important question. He says, what do we want in life? What do you want in life? But he also helped us to see that there's a far greater question that every single one of us in this room needs to wrestle with. And that's, what should we want? You see, what we actually want and what we should want don't always line up. But according to the Bible, there's one thing that we should all want, and there's one thing that we absolutely need if we're going to live well in this world, and that's God's wisdom. 
You see, if I'm totally honest, right, if I'm being totally honest with you guys, what I've found in my own life is that even if I want wisdom, I don't always listen to God's wisdom. You see, instead I listen to other things. If God's wisdom is on my right, sometimes it's far easier. Sometimes I prefer to listen to the other voices on my left. So, for example, God says how I speak, how I use my words should give life to other people. That's the purpose of how we speak. And yet for me, I, I often listen to the vain promise of sarcasm and criticism. The vain promise that tells me if I use jokes, if I cut other people down, well, I'll look better. God assures me that, that I have his approval in Jesus. The only approval that I'll ever need, and yet I constantly long for, I constantly listen to the approval of others. God tells me that true happiness is found in Him. But if I'm being honest, I, I find myself listening to happiness in other places all the time. You see, God gives us His wisdom as a gift. I know I should listen to it, but I often don't. Maybe you can relate. Maybe not. But if you can, why don't we listen to God's wisdom? Why do we so often choose to listen to others when God so clearly tells us in his word that we should listen to him? Proverbs 1, 20 and 21. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. You see, in the day of Proverbs, the streets, the markets, the city gates, those would have been the most prominent places of the city. And so that's like saying for us that, that wisdom calls out in the student center. Wisdom calls out on the quad in Greek town at Faroe Field. In other words, God's wisdom calls to you and I in the ordinary places that we live our lives. Amidst the noise, amidst the busyness, amidst the competing voices vying for our attention. Listen to me, wisdom is saying. Why is it so difficult for us to hear God's wisdom? Why is it so difficult for us to listen to God's wisdom? It's difficult because if we're honest, we often prefer to listen to those other voices. And we prefer to listen to those other voices because their promises seem more appealing to us. I was talking to um, one of you all, an RA, uh, in one of the residence halls this morning, actually. And she was telling me about a recent conversation she had with one of the residents on her floor. And it went like this. After getting home uh, from being out one evening, uh, the girl was talking to her and she said, you know, I was really going to try not drink tonight. But then I decided that beer was worth it over God for now. Beer was worth it over God for now. You see, we've all been there, right? I mean, let's call a spade a spade. Maybe it's not beer. Maybe beer's not the thing for you. But we could all insert something in that phrase, right? I decided pleasure was worth it over God. I decided control of my own life was worth it over God. I decided acceptance by my peers was worth it over God. I decided sleep, video games, they were worth it over God. I decided campus involvement was worth it over God. 
You see, listening to those other voices, it seems worth it, at least for now. What is it for you? What voice, if you're honest with yourself, are you tempted to listen to instead of God's? See, we live in such a loud culture. Everyone's talking. Everyone's shouting. Everyone's telling us what to think and why we should listen. When's the last time that you stopped and sat in silence? No phone, no music, nothing. When's the last time you did that? I try to think. I I honestly couldn't remember the last time I did that. I wonder what effect that has on our ability to listen. You see, I get it. There are so many voices competing for your attention. It makes it incredibly difficult to hear God's wisdom, let alone listen to it. You see, it's easy for us to let those other voices drown out the one voice in our life that really matters, and that's God's. Last week at Veritas, we talked about why we should all want wisdom. This week at Veritas, tonight, we're going to see what you and I risk if we don't listen to God's wisdom. What you and I risk if we don't listen to God's wisdom. We're going to do that by looking at three things. Wisdom's plea, wisdom's warning, and wisdom's promise. So first, wisdom's plea. Proverbs 1.22. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? Wisdom says. How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? You see, one of the things we notice when we read Proverbs is that there are different character types mentioned throughout the book. And so to get a solid grasp on what Proverbs is, is trying to say to us, what it's teaching us, we have to get a, a good understanding of, of what the ver- various characters are like. And so in this particular passage, we see three kinds of people. We see the simple, we see the scoffer, and we see the fool. Now, whether someone is simple, whether someone's a fool, whether someone is a scoffer, we need to start by saying this. It has nothing to do with their intellectual ability. It has nothing to do with their intellectual capacity. It's not that these people are stupid, right? So don't read that and think stupid. That's not the problem. The problem is with their affections. The problem is with what they love. Maybe you've seen this picture floating around the internet. Um, It's somewhat difficult to see, but uh, recently it went viral. And uh, it went viral because of what's going on. Apparently this guy in this picture stood underneath that dangling pea. This is at a Texas Walmart pharmacy. He stood there literally under that pea for two days straight. Why on earth would a guy do that? His words, I was waiting for the pea to fall and knock me out so that I could sue Walmart. Two days, that guy stands under that pea so it falls on his head so he can sue. Unfortunately for him, it didn't fall on his head. Or maybe fortunately, I don't know. Now here's the point. Um, I suppose we could actually debate this guy's intellect, but that's not what I'm trying to do. I don't think this guy was motivated by his own stupidity, right? I think he was motivated by what he loved, the thought of getting money from a lawsuit. Or or maybe it was the publicity and attention that he'd get from going viral on the internet. He was motivated by his affections, by what he loved. Look again at verse 22. The simple love being simple. Scoffers delight in their scoffing. Fools hate knowledge. In other words, they're not stupid at all. 
The problem is that they listen to and love the wrong things. And amidst the the noise and amidst the competing voices in life, they choose to listen to folly instead of wisdom because that's what they want. It's what they prefer. Let's get a little more specific. What are, what are each of these characters like according to Proverbs? First, the simple. Proverbs 14, 15. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives steps to his thought. The prudent give thought to his steps. I can't read. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. You see, Proverbs tells us that the essence of a simple person is a person who's gullible. Is a person who's easily misled. The kind of person who isn't necessarily looking for trouble, isn't necessarily, necessarily looking for temptation, but he's, he or she is open to it if it comes their way. And because of their openness to that, it makes them morally irresponsible. And so as a result of their moral irresponsibility, Proverbs tells us that the simple person inherits folly. And they inherit folly because they're not committed to applying the discipline that is needed to gain wisdom. You see, last week Patrick helped us to see that that wisdom is a gift from God, and it certainly is. But it's also a virtue that we have to cultivate in our hearts and in our lives. It's something we have to grow in. The simple person isn't committed firmly to doing that. What about the fool? According to Proverbs, worse than being a simple person is being a fool. What's a fool like? Look at Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. See, a fool is someone fixed in the correctness of their own opinions. They despise the voice of wisdom and instruction because they prefer to listen to themselves. So their own stubbornness, their own morally deficient character, it leads both themselves and others into danger. It's dangerous to be around a foolish person, so much so that later in Proverbs, Proverbs 17, 12, says that it would actually be better for you and I to run into a mother bear defending her cubs than meeting a fool amidst his folly. That's a scary thought. What about the scoffer? You see, worse than both the simple person and the fool, according to Proverbs, is the scoffer. Proverbs 21, 24. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. Now, who wants to be described like that, right? You see, the scoffer's spiritual problem is rooted in their their boundless pride. A scoffer is the kind of person who hates being corrected. They delight in their own opinions. They delight in themselves. They, they ridicule moral instruction. And they take joy in folly. They prefer mischief and they enjoy leading others into it, leading others astray. Now, I, I don't know about you, but, but when I hear various descriptions like these of, of these different characters in the book of Proverbs, what happens in my mind is I immediately start labeling people, Right? This person I know is a simple person. This person I know is a fool. Those people are scoffers. But that's not what Proverbs is intending for us to do. You see, rather than giving us a lens to look at other people through, Proverbs uses these exaggerated negative features of 
various characters as a mirror to see ourselves in. As a way of looking at ourselves to see the ways in which we aren't very different. And in so doing, hoping to motivate us to change. And so for me, when I use Proverbs as a mirror in my own life, I'd be lying if I, if I said I didn't see the ways in which I allow myself to be easily led into temptation, just like the simple person. You see, I see the ways that I'm stubborn and think that I'm right, just like the fool. I see the ways that I'm unfortunately proud and arrogant and sometimes even take joy in that, just like the scoffer. What about you? If you use Proverbs as a mirror in your own life, are there glimpses of the simple person in your life? Can you identify with the fool? Is there any resemblance of the scoffer's pride in your own heart? See, if if there is, hear me say this, you're not the only one. See, God wants us to see the messiness and sin in our lives. That's why he gives us this mirror. Unless we despair, Proverbs gives us some hope. Proverbs 1.23. If you turn at my reproof, my correction, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. See, what wisdom is saying to us is that if we're willing to see ourselves rightly, if we're willing to turn from our ways, if we're willing to repent of the things that we love more than God's wisdom, God is going to make his words known to us. In other words, God is going to give us wisdom. That's what God wants for our lives. That's what he wants to do in my life. That's what he wants to do in your life. Wisdom's plea to you, to me, is turn from those other voices Turn from those other ways. Turn from those other loves, and I will make my words known to you. But wisdom is also very clear. If we fail to listen, if we continue to ignore God's wisdom, there will be consequences. So wisdom's warning. The other day I I came across um, two terribly tragic stories of people who died at the Grand Canyon. I'm going to spare details, but in one instance, uh, a father was playing a joke on his teenage daughter, and he jumped up on a guardrail. He was going to fake like he was falling and kind of flail, only he actually did fall 400 feet into the canyon and died. In another instance, a woman was on a, on a path. It was marked, um, you know, signs saying, you know, don't get off the path, but but she saw a spot that she wanted to get a picture at. And so she kind of went behind the sign and kind of down uh, further off the path. And she sat down where she wanted to. But when she sat down, the rocks gave way beneath her. And she too fell down into the canyon over the wall and died. Terrible stories, right? Terribly tragic. Awful, awful stories. But the real tragedy... The real tragedy is that these outcomes didn't have to happen. You see, they wouldn't have happened had they not ignored the warning signs that were there to protect their lives. You see, we've all seen those kinds of warning signs before, right? My guess is that most of us in here probably wouldn't cross that kind of sign if if we were in that setting and we saw it. Some of us would, but most of us probably wouldn't. 
It's too dangerous. We, we see that kind of sign. We see that kind of boundary. We see that kind of guardrail, and we know better. My guess, though, is that few of us actually see God's warning as the same kind of sign. But that's exactly what wisdom is trying to do here in Proverbs 1. It's warning us that when we fail to listen to God's wisdom, there's going to be danger ahead. So every single one of us has to ask, are we ignoring wisdom in our life? Are we ignoring God's wisdom in our life? Are we listening to other voices? See, don't be so foolish to think that it's without consequence if you are. Proverbs 1, 24 through 28. But since you refuse to listen when I call, and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, this is wisdom. Since you disregard all of my advice and do not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh when disaster strikes you. I will mock you when calamity overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you. You see, wisdom tells us, wisdom laughs at the absurdity of choosing folly over wisdom. But in reality, it's no joking matter. You see, we don't always like it, but truth has a hard edge sometimes, and wisdom doesn't dull it. Patrick said something last week that, that stuck with me. Maybe, maybe you too. He said this. He said, we all live in God's reality. And when we break God's reality, it breaks us. You see, when we refuse to listen to God's wisdom in our lives, when we don't pay attention to it, when we disregard its voice, wisdom is clear. Consequences will come. Continuing our passage, Proverbs 1, 29-31. Since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me. They will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. I've been doing ministry for a a long time now. And in in my experience, and most of our staff, I would imagine, we've seen a couple different reasons why people call out to God, why people cry out to God. One reason is because a person actually sees his or her need for God. They recognize their foolishness. They recognize their inability to save themselves. And so they cry out to God rightfully, saying, God, I need you. God, where are you? God, rescue me. But the other reason why I see, in particular, college students crying out to God is is sometimes this happens when, when someone is faced with the consequences of their foolishness. See, sometimes... I've seen people cry out to God because things have gone wrong or badly in their life as a result of some choices they've made. And so the result of bad choices that they've made, they get in that situation and they cry out to God and they say, God, get me out of this bind. But they don't want God. They want to get out of the bind. They don't want God. They want what God can do for them. And in reality, they just want to get out of the bind so that they can continue on in their foolishness. See, Proverbs isn't saying that if we genuinely cry out to God because of our sense of need for him, that it's going to fall on deaf ears. That's not what these verses are saying. 
But what it is saying is that we can't consistently reject God. We can't consistently ignore God's wisdom and then expect God to get us out of a bind when consequences come. Consequences that he tell us will come if we ignore him. Listen to me, wisdom says. Wisdom knows what's best for us. Listen to wisdom's promise. Proverbs 1, 32 and 33. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. Uh, just a quick aside, real quick. Uh, maybe you're here tonight, and some of this is just confirming what you've already thought about Christianity. What you've already thought Christianity was all about. That, that God somehow delights in punishing us, somehow takes pleasure amidst our failures and pain, etc., etc. You see... This verse is is about to say the complete opposite. Look at verse 33. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure, will be at ease without dread of disaster. You see, God takes no pleasure in our peril. God warns us because he knows what's best for us. He wants us, wisdom wants us to dwell secure. And God knows that listening to wisdom's voice is what will eventually save us from disaster. June 17, 1998, 81-year-old Robert Cooper Schmid and his 52-year-old friend Wesley Sickle are flying from Indianapolis to Muncie, Indiana. And halfway through their flight, Sickle, the 52-year-old and also the pilot, slumps over and dies. He has a heart attack. The Cessna 172 he's flying goes instantly into a tailspin, a, tail, a nosedive. Cooper Schmid, rightfully so, starts freaking out. He grabs the controls. He's never flown a plane in his life and starts talking on the radio. Absolutely no flying experience. Plane is in a nosedive. Nearby were two pilots that picked up the call. And for several minutes, for the next several minutes, they, they continue to give Cooper Schmidt a steady stream of instructions. First, how to level out the plane, and then how to actually start gaining elevation, then how to steer the plane, and finally, the scariest part, how to approach for a landing. As these pilots are talking to this 82-year-old man who's never flown a plane in his life, emergency crews are assembling on the ground, ready for what seemed to be an impending disaster. And finally, Cooper Smith says, okay, we, we got to try this thing. And so he comes in to attempt the landing. And he gets closer and closer and closer to the ground until the plane bounces again and again and again. The, plane, the tail of the plane eventually hits the ground. The Cessna skids off and ends, ends up in a soggy patch of grass. But miraculously, he was completely uninjured. You see, Cooper Smith listened to those other pilots as if his life depended on it, because it did. Because it did. The same is, is true of God's wisdom in our lives. See, living well in this world depends on whether or not we're willing to listen to God's wisdom. Living well in this world depends on whether or not we're willing to listen to God's wisdom. Our lives depend on it. What landings in your life do you feel unequipped to handle right now? What's so overwhelming to you right now in your life that you don't know how to handle it? 
Maybe a relationship that needs to end. Maybe it's what comes after graduation. You don't have a job yet. Or maybe you do and you're moving to a new city and what does that mean? Maybe it's a health condition. Maybe it's a tough course load. Maybe it's a relationship with one of your parents or both or anxiety. See, whose voice are you listening to amidst these things? Is it the voice of God's wisdom? Or is it some other voice? You see, God tells us that he's willing to help us navigate these things if we're willing to listen to his wisdom. I'll I'll finish uh, tonight with this thought. Uh, In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, Jesus is teaching before a crowd of people um, on Mount Beatitude in what's known as um, the Sermon on the Mount. And in this sermon, Jesus is, is standing before all these people, and, and he's teaching for a long time, and he's teaching them about what it looks like to follow him, about what it looks like to live well in the world. And just before he ends his sermon, he tells a real quick story, a little parable. He says this, he says, everyone who hears these words of mine, everything that I just spent all this time teaching and talking about, everyone who hears those words and does them, follows them, is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And when the rain falls and the winds blow and when the winds beat on the house, the house doesn't fall because it had a solid foundation. And then he went on and he said, but anyone who hears everything that I've just said, anyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on sand. And when the rain falls and the winds blow and when the winds beat against the house, the house will fall and great will its fall be. You see, as the music team comes up, how do you know? How do you know if you're listening to wisdom or not? Ask yourself, what are you building your life on? If you take an honest look at your life, are you building your life on Jesus, the rock? Or are you building your life on what the Bible says everything else is, sand? You see, God tells us that there will be storms in our lives, whirlwinds that turn everything upside down, landings that we're not equipped for. And what we build our lives on, whose voice we listen to, is the determining factor in whether or not we get through it. So wisdom is calling to each of us. Wisdom is calling to you. Wisdom's calling to me. And it's telling us to turn. Turn from those other voices. Turn to the voice of God's wisdom in your life and dwell securely on the rock that is Jesus Christ.